Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm David Kern. And I'm Heidi White. And the absence of Tim that you hear there is because Tim is not here, there. He He's is, still living. Right. He's before any He's on Earth. Started. Right. He just you know couldn't be here today because he is traveling a productive adult human with job. Yeah. his job sent him out west i think to arizona and so he could not be with us this week we we discussed trying to find a time to schedule it but alas couldn't make it, it work. work so mm-hmm. heidi and i will carry on and do I was our say, part. Hold down the fort, but hold that's down like the, the fort. opposite of the metaphor you used. So, or it's true. Used. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to mix that up. You wanted to stay and hold down the fort, and I was saying we we're going to go somewhere, blaze some trails. Exactly, blaze some trails. So we don't have our chief scout. I don't know. We'll have to just. The point is, we're going to do know. this episode anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're here to discuss um, the second portion of. Ernest J. Gaines's book, A Gathering of Old Men. And that'll take us through roughly chapter, page 110. So um, the last character who speaks that we're going to be with is uh, um, Roof, Joseph Seabury, a.k.a. Roof. So page 110 in most editions. Um, but it kind of takes us through um, most of the the introduction of Mapes, the sheriff, and the, the sort of characters defending uh, them and telling their stories, um, explaining their, their reasons for why they're doing what they're doing in a way that sort of um, only could work with Mapes, I think. So um, we talked last week about the idea of the points of view. Um, that, that was kind of the, the main focus of our conversation last week. And we were talking about our enthusiasm for it. Um, I think we both, we, we both still like this book. I like this book still. You still oh, like this yeah. book? Oh okay. yeah. I think it's fantastic. So has anything shifted for you in terms of clarifying things because of the point of view part? I don't want to let that thread go before we right. start talking about all kinds of other things. So we've been given a couple more points of view. Um, Joe Dimes mm-hmm. in particular comes at the beginning of this section. And, you know, this is a white man who kind of knows the sheriff and acts as kind of like this weird bridge between these characters. Um, so for you, how did the new points of view impact your experience with this story? Yeah, I, I, I think that with the section narrated by Lou Dimes, um, we get a lot more insight into it's a white man talking about the inequalities in the culture Although, I mean, not overtly, right? I mean, but that's kind of the right. gist of where he gets to. And it was really effective, I think, on the part of Ernest Gaines to put a lot of these thoughts into the mouth of a white man who would have the freedom in the culture to say this, right? Hmm. Um, and so it seemed like a, 
a technical move that really worked to me. Like I'm so enthralled by the writing in this book and that's usually mm-hmm. you, David, like that's usually how you are. You're usually the one I, I'm like all in the themes and blah, 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 the characters and the psychology. And you're the one who keeps kind of roping it back into, yeah, but what about the writing? And for me, I, I am enthralled for sure with the story. Um, but I just keep noticing these like pro moves on the part of the author. Uh, he's a really masterful writer uh, because with Lou Dime's section, which is a bit longer than some of the sections that we had before. With the, yeah, we, we, read we really last did week, get two longish sections here. Two long sections. And I thought it was such a pro move on Ernest Gaines part to put a lot of these thoughts because then we get a white man passing some judgment on these other white men that are coming and threatening. And of course, we believe the black narrators. Of course we do. But now we know that also another white man sees them as brutal and scary um, and to be feared. And then also Hmm. Lou, um, Lou Dimes also gets the opportunity then to tell us about MAPES. Right. From yeah. a perspective that um, of a white man about a white man, which is a very different perspective than a yeah. black man towards a white man in this culture, which we're learning as we go. And so that is I, th- I just thought that was really insightful on Ernest Gaines part to put that um, to put that in there and kind of hmm. invite us into seeing these characters from yeah. multiple points of view in the social status. I like your point about how Mapes is introduced by Lou Dimes <clears throat> because you got this, you got, we, we first meet him from the perspective of Lou who is sympathetic to these characters, but not without his own sort of I don't know, prejudices. I mean, like he's, you know, he's, he's not, it's not like he's this perfectly heroic character. Um, right. Well, and he's protective of his, Beyonce's protective right. of candy. And so we right. get to see that in him too. Right. And he, he kind of sees the situation for what it is, but then also as it's happening, his empathy for these guys does come out in a way that kind of like almost stands in for the reader, I think. Um, but then we do get, as you said, him introducing Mapes, the sheriff. So we get one particular POV on the sheriff, but then we also do get, the POV from one of the black men. And even from them, they have a sort of, they have a sort of respect for Mapes. I mean, even if in times it's a little bit grudging, at least within this situation, but it points out how Mapes liked Matthew and they, they hunted together, they fished together, they, they drank together in Matthew's house, right? So they view him as someone who's straddling the line between ally and enemy. He's like got this, you know, Lou says that line about how early on, like something like someone has to pay, right? The question of justice comes up and Mapes has this weird role of having to, you know, I wonder if I can find it. Well, he, it's, he says somebody had to pay for Bo's lying there. That's what he says on 63 at the times. But Mapes has that he has to play the sort of arbiter of justice, the one who has to determine whether justice can be met but he also is friendly with these guys and he has a lot of respect for these guys. And, the, and he recognizes that in some ways they're very similar, even as there are these very significant differences in terms of the way the world and the world that they live in treats them and the freedoms they have and the respect that they, that they get. But he's different than the guys that are off on the horizon that are 
the, the true enemy. So I like that one thing, he, the way he, he, he inserts these questions of justice while also giving us the sort of lay of the land as far as who, who's on whose side. Because you have these, this small army of these men who are standing their ground, so to speak, and are prepared to defend themselves and to stand up for themselves. And then offstage still, we have Fix, you know, Bo's family, these like these seemingly villainous characters who we've not even met yet, but even the sheriff and the deputy and the, the undertaker and all these people are afraid of them. And then in the middle of them, we have Lou, the, these two white men, Lou and Mapes and Candy. So two white men and a white woman who are, who have a sense of the history of the place, like the true complexity of it and the injustices that have been met. And so they have a bit more of a, uh, nuanced or complex view of justice, even as Mabes has to like, li- like enforce justice, like try to make sure that justice happens. And he's like, his in- increasing confusion about what to do is really interesting in this part, I think. I think it's one of the things that I like the best. What do you make of him, David? Like, how's your... I, he's a very complex character. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most, him and Matthew, right? They're the most complex kind of, um, we don't know. We're not, I don't feel like the story tells us what to think about them the way it does about some of the other characters. And I'm okay with that, that the story tells us what to think about some of the characters. But I really like that Mapes is a bit ambiguous for sure. And maybe even ambivalent. Like I, I don't know. What do you make of him? Like what's motivating him in this section? Hey, do on this, on this question, do we, Uh we haven't had any point of view from either of those, either uh, Matthew or Mapes yet. No, I wonder if we, I I wonder if we do at any point. I didn't check because if I haven't looked ahead at all, I had, I mean, I, the only thing I haven't read ahead, I'm just wondering if, you know, that would be, that would be pretty telling. Because it would associate the two very closely in terms of how we're supposed to think about the, the story. Um, I see a bunch more Lou as I'm flipping ahead. I don't think I see any. I see some Snookum. I see uh, Coot. And, mm-hmm. um, so these are two pretty crucial characters that are not going to have, they're going to be revealed exclusively through other people. And their well, their and version of the story is because exactly, and because we know, which I think is, I, th- I think that might be a really good move because this is a memory novel, even though it doesn't feel like it. It feels like the very progressive, like everything's moving forward, but it is a novel about people looking back on an event, and so we know that every single narrator survives this confrontation. And so the silence of the people that we don't have narrating leaves that question mark in our minds if we're the kinds of readers who look ahead, right? And look at, I wonder if Mapes has a section. I wonder if Matthew has oh, a yeah, section. Oh yeah, that's a great point. I wonder if Candy yeah. has a section, you know? like, And as we look ahead and we see, no, these are mostly the periphery characters. I don't want to say minor characters because they're the ones speaking. Um, But we have this tight group of inner characters that we don't ever, it seems, get to really hear from. And I find that kind of awesome, actually. Hmm. That's a bold move on the 
part of Ernest Gaines to not to give us side characters or peripheral characters that are telling us about these main characters and then we don't get to hear from them which leaves yeah, the question really do they survive this confrontation and also then we get to have our own judgments and posture towards them and our own perspective on them and we don't get behind their eyes so on the one hand we then get the, these uh, maybe marginalized is the wrong characters but margin wrong word margin mm, margin characters right. being given their voice but also it heightens the drama because we don't if we're like every time we get a new chapter, we're not getting one of them. It, it raises the question more Are into our consciousness. It, right? yeah. Did they make it? Yeah. They're, 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 they're not being there. Their absence become begins to become conspicuous. Now you asked me about what I think of him. Yeah. And um, I, one of the things that makes him complex, I think is what I said earlier that he, we, we get him from different points of view. You know, we're being given an introduction to him from, from different points of view that come from different walks of life. So he commands res- the, the fact that he commands respect and even a degree of friendship, both among the black men and among at least Lou and Candy, that's telling. Um, that he's able to sort of straddle that line is pretty telling. While also eating candy like a child. Like that's a, like, I mean... Those of us who like candy appreciate this, but I just interesting that he draws so much attention to that because, like, his com- his contemplative state is to be eating lifesavers. You know, like the more he the more he's thinking, the more he's eating. Like that, that that's a sig- signal he's thinking, and I don't really know what to make of that. What did you think of that? I mean, I couldn't help, of course, but think of David Kern, a resident snacker. What is so? In the and you're eating right now Doritos. Well, Let so we've been so be aware. little little um little uh, promo for Withy Wendell podcast because this is a podcast for kids book authors, right? And every episode we begin with a question that was asked by one of the kids, and it's it's the most important question we ask these authors: What do they like? Or do they prefer Cheetos or Doritos? So the other day, Graham and I are interviewing Jonathan Oxier, who was a great middle grade novelist, and he's talking about how much he loves Doritos and how he's been like obsessing with them. So that kind of nice. made me start to crave Doritos. So I was at the store running in to grab something quick to eat. And so I'm checking out. So naturally I couldn't resist. Of course. Right. right. It's time to snack. Right. Because you're thinking about something. Right. Exactly. Got to ruminate with. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Yep. So maybe that's what Mapes is doing. He does seem to eat to like calm himself down. And it's, I, he's such a human character. Like he eats all the time and he's kind of fat. Which is very different from David Kern. I'll say that right now. <laughs> so, um, but I was chewing when you said that. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, indeed. Yes. Okay. So, just as, as a side note, again, Jonathan Oxier, like I, I'm very intrigued by the fact that you, you said Doritos, right? Not yeah. Cheetos. He said Doritos. Yeah. Yeah, because to me, like just his name and his books. I definitely picture him just like in a suit all the time and maybe snacking on like scones with clotted cream. Like he's, he seems like a very, well, we didn't ask classy, him, are you a scones? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Do you prefer scones or cinnamon Gardner, rolls? But, <laughs> right. Night Gardner is a great um, Halloween book, by the way, for those of you that want to read books with your children. Oh man. He's such a great, I, I can't wait to listen to that. Cause I love him. Um, his books are so good. Um, so where anyway. were we? 
We were on mapes and the snacking. And I, there's lots of little details like that in the, in the book that are helpful place markers for me as we switch between points of view. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so snacking is mapes, right? Like mm-hmm. this guy, Matthew is tall. Like, I, like to have those kinds of details that help me keep the character straight. Although I do confess I had to go back and check several times the section, which is one of the risks of a POV changing kind of novel. It's, it's hard for readers to keep track um, of who is who. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that that's not a bad thing either because it forces us as readers to pay attention and to keep flipping through. And that's not, that's not a bad thing, but I did this week have to go back and remind myself who was who a couple of times. It was pretty, um, but you know, you know, I mentioned my um, pet peeve of POV sending exactly the same last week. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did notice how Luz has a very unique way of speaking. Like each of these characters, you know, you, with a little bit of study on them, you could create a profile like a linguistic profile that differentiates each of them. Smart. She's just a good writer, but I couldn't, I mean, Mapes, is he, is he a villain? Is he bad? Is he like, what does he want? What's he motivated by in this scene or in this? I I keep thinking of it as a scene, by the way, that was maybe a little bit of a Freudian slip. (laughs) I didn't mean to say that, but it does feel like a scene. Um. Has, is he a villain? Well, I think. Well, I think the the evidence of Gaines's skill here is that when he arrives, he's the enemy. You know, when the section begins, he's the enemy to to the to the men on the porch, um, who who we have now just decided are our friends, right? And uh, who we want, who we're behind, and as the section goes on, and he hears the stories in that chapter that roof tells um his stance seems to soften and his his aggressiveness seems to chill out a little bit like and he becomes i think increasingly less villainous and more and villainous is a loose term here obviously because he's not like i mean he does at the beginning beat them actually um so maybe it is the right word because he so he does start out in this very combative way and as it goes on he seems to that seems to lessen. He seems to feel more complex about it. Although it does say at the beginning, he didn't want to be hitting them, but he didn't know what else to do. Um, right. So I think he's a very complex character. I think the real villains are off screen right. still off stage. Right. What do you think? Right. No, I had the same response. I was, there's a couple things that surprised me in this section. One of which was Matthew, which I think I'm sure we'll come back to. Um, and the, when he started slapping them, I was surprised mm-hmm. because I think I had expected um, from the way he had been talked about, maybe, or maybe, I don't know if it was in my head or something from the text. I had expected him to have, I don't know, to be more just. Like, I was surprised and disgusted. Oh. Um, and, of course, it made me dislike him. But then later, I... Like what it seems like what he wants is what he truly wants really is justice. And he doesn't want them to be hurt. Like he want he doesn't want fix to come. And 
He doesn't want a necktie party, as he called. He doesn't want yeah. a lynching. Yeah. And it seems that he, and it's not just because he's trying to keep the peace. It seems like there's a genuine regard for some of these people that he spent time with. But then there, there also just seems like he kind of just wants it to be easy and to be taken care of too. So I don't know that I think he's like a noble man, but I don't think he's a villain either. He seems kind of like an ordinary person who like usually does the right thing and is in over his head right now. I like what you said about the justice question there, because um, part of the justice thing, like someone has to pay is the line that Lou says, like someone has to pay for what happened for Bo lying there in the grass. But there is also the concern that other people will die unjustly or get hurt unjustly. And that's like what he says to Matthew. Like, do you want these other people to get hurt? And he says, no, but they got to decide for themselves. And there's like for Matthew and for all of these men, there's like a cause. There's something bigger than their own safety. And that's what it takes. That's what Mapes can't understand. And then as they begin to tell their stories, he begins to he begins to recognize why they would choose, choose to do what they're doing. Um, but he's not going to be able to convince and you know, Matthew or any of them by saying, look, it's not, you could unjustly get hurt here. We know you didn't do it. And the interesting thing is the book seems to set us up to make him seem like a good police officer. Like he has a sort right. of, like he, he gets to the bottom of things, but he it doesn't take him long to go through the clues. Right. right. He's smart. Yeah. Well, and then you also have Griffin, yeah. the deputy, who's obviously a sleaze. Yeah. And so there's a good cop, bad cop kind of dichotomy set up at the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. So what did you think of the chapter with all the, the, the narratives, the, the reasons that people are doing what they're doing? Right. Roof's chapter, yeah. the long one. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was heart-wrenching. Like these terrible things and these people who without a voice who've been trained to bear that terrible Mm. suffering in silence across generations like it's and just one story after the other um and i couldn't help but wonder how many of those stories had been drawn from real life somehow yeah Gaines have heard Um, those somewhere yeah and so I, w- I thought it was very moving. Um, and I mean, it definitely, I, th- I think if I were to have written that, it would be to raise awareness and to provide, is to give my readers insight into a true and a terrible history. And I, so, and it did that. Like, I, I definitely, I definitely felt that just like, oh my gosh. It almost to me bypasses the question of should they be, doing this like it almost I I thought that I I thought for a while that maybe that was going to be the focus of the story Mm -hmm. you know kind of like when we read peace like a river and one of the questions of the story was should Davy have done this terrible thing had he was he justified in it right and that carries through the whole story you're constantly asking yourself that question while you're reading and it influences how you think about this the rest of the family on the run and I I don't really have that thread in the back of my, I almost like just accept it as a given that they're finally doing something 
they're, they're finally investing in the justice to themselves and their families. Like, I'm not even asking myself the question, should they be there to protect Matthew? I am asking myself the question, should Matthew step forward and own it? But I'm not asked. I, I completely understand and accept at face value the reason why there is this gathering of old men. And these stories have even added to that. I don't know. What about you? Well, so what do you think of Matthew not coming Basically, basically saying, yeah, they, they do whatever they, they can decide. They can make the choices for themselves. I don't know yet because I, I, Matthew surprised me completely and utterly. I, I didn't expect him to be a man like what, what Mapes said about how, or what Lou said about how Mapes respects Matthew and, and was the only man there that he did respect. Mm-hmm. Um, made me see Matthew in a different light. I had been looking at him as like a weak man who lost his temper and now everyone's stepping forward to protect him. But now that this chapter has given me a different perspective on him. And since we have such limited vision of him, right? Like there's that, and that's gotta be intentional on the part of our author, but there's such a limited, there's, he's always eclipsed by something, right? Like some things in between him and our view of him. Um, and so I had made a judgment call that he was like a weak man who did this out of temper and rage. Mm. But now I'm thinking maybe there's a different perspective on him. Maybe he's very worthy of respect and worth protecting. There's got to be something about this man that's so compelling to the white sheriff mm. and to everybody here and to Candy. But I don't know what it is yet. Yeah, I mean, Candy's... Candy's commitment to him, to them, is really interesting. And the fact that it hasn't been explained yet lends a bit of mystery as well. Like what is, is for her, is it a sort of grand, I don't mean that in a negative sense, but grand notion of justice. Like she sees mm-hmm. the world in a more black and white way. This is wrong the way they're being treated. You know, she, or is it, does she have, does she owe something to somebody? You know, and in, in the sense that they did something for her. And she feels like she wants to pay them, pay them back. Um, you know, the, we don't, we don't know that. We just know that she's this character who, um, like, does she actually like these people as men or does she like the cause, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think that's she clear yet. She does have a very deep attachment to Matthew, like an affection does. Yeah, for yeah, him. Yeah. As there's that part at the end where she talks, and, she puts his hand on him and, mm-hmm. Like a flower. Mm-hmm. That was such a beautiful in in a in a book that isn't very gentle, <laughs> that gentle touch was like very moving to me. Mm. I'm I'm wondering if based on the way you were talking about this this longer chapter with their stories, it seemed like you were saying it's good, but so maybe I'm wrong in inferring that. Is there do you, are you worried that perhaps it's like too uh Speech of, I don't know, speechified right. or something like it's a little it bit did feel, too. It did feel like a series of speeches, which I guess um, it was. Right, um, and I like it's not. Does it lack subtlety? Maybe, maybe it felt a bit on the nose to read. Like, um, and I would have loved to have heard those. Uh, 
it seems like we could he could have maybe woven them into um into the character's first person points of view because there are so many characters and to be honest i'm still not sure which story goes to which character yeah. because there's so, so like, many they could have sense. told their own story in the narrative instead of hearing it through right. a second right. another person um and i think that's a tough call as a writer in this in the craft sense because if you get it woven through with each character then you kind of miss this idea of mapes hearing multiple stories and becoming overwhelmed by them right mm. finally hearing the truth for the yeah. first time and so that barrage of stories kind of makes sense for the emotional power of that but i think in reading it to your point i i, I kind of stopped keeping track after a little while and just kind of heard disembodied sad stories i, I wonder if that's part of the point though like um, maybe so these are these point. are human beings to whom these things are happened to who have been sort of disembodied they haven't been treated as, as been dehumanized they've been dehumanized right. yeah were there any passages that particularly stood out to you in this this chapter <laughs> this section I, I, I think i'd have to say no on that because that so much of the so much was on dialogue I really just that little image, like I said, of of Candy putting her hand on his shoulder. Yeah, the way that one ten. Where is that? I think yeah. it was the last, the last bit of the. Yeah. Um. I I think that for me in the writing, it was, I was moved by these little, little moments, like the the hand on the shoulder. Um. When Yank was giving his name and he wanted his full name to be known and not just his nickname to be known, like little things like that, that just were, that I just thought were really powerful details that spoke to the underlying psychological and societal forces that are going on in this mm -hmm. section. Um, and then I also was very moved and I'm not, this isn't a passage, but I, it hit me how much of the grief of the old men is, is about, it's certainly about issues of race and inequality and oppression, and also about memory and family and being old, right? Like seeing an old way of life disappearing mm -hmm. and being forgotten mm -hmm. under the pressure of oppression and, and under that oppressive system. But it, that that kind of contemplation of memory and change and the force of change in a culture was compelling to me but it didn't seem preachy like this is just like big bad racism it felt very human like there's these men grieving the loss of their culture the loss of the graves of their family and their stories their own stories yeah. being forgotten all of that under the pressure of an oppressive system. Like there's so many things that are, that are pushing on these old men mm. and why that they're choosing this moment to say, to have a voice. And one of the things that stands out in those stories is they're, that they're finally getting to tell, like on the one hand, they are right. trying to give voice to people that were forgotten. And on the other hand, it's very confessional. Like you've got the one who's like, I didn't stand up for my brother. Mm. 
And now I'm basically, he's saying, and now I'm finally going to, I didn't, you know, but then each of those stories has somebody who had been forgotten. The boy who gets the chair, who had been, you know, maybe or maybe not falsely accused, um, but either way was was all screwed up. The 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 soldier the soldier who came back from the war, um, mm-hmm. and was treated poorly. The man, the man whose brother got got beaten and he didn't do anything. For every for every one of them who tells the story, there's also the forgotten person that the story's about that they are that those are the people that they're doing this for it's for themselves certainly and for the future and it's also for the people that they were not able to stand up for earlier either because of the inequality of the justice system the the inherent racism of the local community the their own lack of courage in the moment you know um whatever it is they all can kind of seem to be telling a different giving a different reason but those people are the reason that they're on the porch as much as themselves Mm -hmm. and that i think it it's so much less abstract when there's a person when there's a 16 year old kid who you know the story about how he thinks he's in heaven and getting electrocuted wasn't so bad um those are you, you know those are stories of people and again, it feels like they, they can't have, they must have been things that gains had heard, you know, they feel so particular. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Well, I didn't hear from you about Matthew. What is your impression? Because I find him very compelling now in a way that I didn't before reading this section. I'm pulling up the this I, you know this is the conversation between mapes and matthews 84 85 um, 86 one of the things i like about matthew is how there's a sort of steadiness to him he's not he, he, there's a calmness to him candy tries to say you don't have to talk you don't have to talk and he's like i don't mind talking and uh, then mapes says tell him tell them to tell me who did it and it says that he he looked at Matthew, never at Candy. He was still being respectful toward Matthew. And the fact, like that bit of characterization there that we we learn about Matthew through the way other people treat him, that like mm-hmm. that secondary characterization is really well done because he, he could say Matthew, Matthew was the kind of character, the kind of man who because of his personality right. and his persona and the way he carried himself was given lots of respect, right? The people in the, yeah. in the town respected him. Or we can say that the sheriff who is there investigating whether he killed someone is looking at Matthew, not at the woman who keeps trying to speak for him. And like, we learn everything we need to know about Matthew because of that in that, in that moment. Um, and then Matthew says, no, you know, I did it. And then Mabe says, I know you did you're the only one around here man enough. And so like, in a sense, what we have been given is all these stories or what we're about to get is all these stories of people who look back at themselves and wish they'd been man enough to do something. But we're told here by the sheriff, you are man enough to do it. And Mapes, despite his commitment to making sure justice is met, seems to actually respect that about Matthew. And all the other characters wish they had been man enough to do something like that. And so the book seems to be saying that the fact that Mapes, Matthew, was man enough to, as Mapes is to, to use his phrasing, was man enough to do it, 
is something that we are supposed to um, admire, if not be comfortable with, right? Like the book is, mm. that this isn't, mm. this is, it's you can well both said. be like admirable and not adm- like you can still wonder about it, but be, admire that he would be man enough to do something like that. The, in the framework of this book, that seems to be an admirable thing so far. Um, mm-hmm. We can talk about, you know, we can debate the, the real world philosophies and theologies behind that. But within the context of this book, we're supposed to respect that about him. Right. And he says, you know, he, he also recognizes though, that all these other men are not just standing up for him, that they're standing up for the community. They're standing up for the people before them, for their children, for the men from the first world war, the second world war, the Korean war and Vietnam who all got treated like, you know what, when they came back. And so Matthew recognizes that. And that's why he's not willing to say, you know what, take me away. I did it there. You know, he lets them have, like he lets them have the autonomy to, to decide whether or not to stand with them, which is what Jameson is not willing to do. Jameson doesn't recognize, he, he is not willing to give them, he doesn't respect their grieving enough to let them do what they think is right. Mm-hmm. And there's like a cowardice in that. And that's why Jameson comes across as little and Matthew comes across as big, even as they're actually big and small. <laughs> but they, you can say they're big and small, but they don't, that doesn't mean they feel big and small. And sometimes an author will right. make a character tell us that a character is small, but he will feel big. And sometimes we'll be told that a character is tall, but he'll feel little. Here, Matthew feels big because he has a bigger view of the world. And he, he, he recognizes what's going on in the hearts of everyone around him. So I think he's a pretty compelling character. She's so compelling. And I, it was until this section and maybe did you, what you're describing, everything you just said, I agree with and think is true, but I didn't know it or sense it or feel it until this section really until that conversation that you just referred to before he was this silent man squatting with a gun in his hand having just killed a white man while everybody else is taking the blame Hmm. and so I put on that a wrong judgment that is corrected by this section and I don't know if that's intentional on the part of our author or whether that was just my own interpretation. Did you have the same experience or did you always kind of find him to be more heroic or compelling? Well, I, yeah. I think we didn't, I, I think we don't know, you know, it's interesting because right before the section roof says he's describing Mapes and he says, Mapes was a lot of things. He was big, mm-hmm. mean, brutal, but Mapes respected a man. Matthew mm-hmm. was a man and Mapes respected Matthew, but he didn't think much of the rest of us and he didn't respect us. And, you know, that seems to be inconsistent with, or consistent with sort of how they feel about themselves at times. Right. And that's coming across as they narrate their own stories. Um, and so the fact that this big, mean, brutal man respects Matthew should on the one hand cause us to also respect Matthew because of this fig- authority figure does, but then also in a way it kind of should give us pause because they, these, this big, mean, brutal man has a sort of kinship with Matthew. And so it should make us wonder, right. well, is Matthew also big, mean, and brutal? And if so, what do they each stand for within this book and the community? And like, 
it just raises all these questions about what justice is because right. is he big, mean and brutal in terms of pursuing what he believes justice to be his, you know, his job, but he respects a man. And so the way he goes about that, you know, he tries to, to go about that brutality, you know, it's, it's complicated. Right. It is complicated. And that's well, that relationship and- is complicated. Sorry. Right. No, no, that, sorry. I, you weren't done talking. Yeah. I, I'm also, we don't know anything about what happened between Matthew and Bo and why Bo was shot, (laughs) but it almost to it. Like, I think that's smart. Again, neither do the other men. This is what I'm saying. Like this speaks to the craft of the novel. Like this, it's so smart to not tell us because then instead of it being about, instead of Bo's death being about an incident that happened between him and Matthew. Now, it's not about that. It it becomes then about this man's brother who came back from war, and this mm. this person who this this poor woman who was mistreated by men of both races and ended up dead. Right, and like all of these terrible things that happened because of the oppression that's being explored in this novel because of racism, because of all of these terrible things. That's what this man's death is about to the gathering of old men. Right. Mm. And I think the absence of that um, bit of knowledge allows us as the reader, as you said, to become kind of the vessel of that. Right. Mm. We're not just looking at what happened between Matthew and Bo and deciding whether or not Matthew made a good decision to shoot him. We're looking at, this gathering of old men that are there finally taking a stand. Um, and I assumed that Matthew was allowing them to do it because he was cowardly because I can't imagine doing something and letting people take the blame for it. Like, I, I just can't, like, I'm like, why would someone do that? Yeah. But to your point, it, and I couldn't come up with a noble reason for that. So then I passed judgment on him, but in this section, I think, invites, then, I think he kind of wants you to. Yes. And then in this section, then we have this different vision of him as a man of great strength and that other people respect and and it is worth dying for. Right. Worth fighting for. Um, And their their respect for him, like they look up to him for for defending himself Mm. with whatever happened. And so then they want to kind of do something heroic like he did. They're imitating him. So I'm just seeing Mm. him in a new light in this section, but I still wonder. So what do you think the book is going to do next? I don't know. Like what? I'm surprised. I've been surprised so many times in reading it. (laughs) So what, what are you going to be looking for in terms of how these particularly these two characters, like what are the, what are the questions you have that you want to see answered? I, I want to see a little more insight between uh, on on Matthew. Um, I want to see. I'm hoping to learn more about his relationship with Candy, um, and uh, kind of at this point, it, this feels to me like the heart of the novel. Um, this section we just read, particularly the stories that were told. Um, and like Mapes eyes being opened in a new way to these people as humans, what he does with that, I don't know, but at least he's being forced to see. And he said the words I see like six times in those couple of pages. Hmm. Um, but I am looking for more on Matthew. And of course I'm looking for when is our 
when it, when is our villain going to show up and what's he going to do? I don't know. What about you? What are you looking for? Yeah. I mean, we don't know why any of this, like what actually happened. Right. Uh, I wonder if we will. Yeah, exactly. Um, what's Candy's actual role in this whole thing? Um, like, uh, there's a lot of ways that he could surprise us. Like maybe, I mean, Matthew could have had nothing to do with it actually, you know, um, he, you know, I don't think he's, if I wanted to pull a Tim and do a prediction, I would say, I doubt that's what he's doing because of a lot of the themes that he's introduced. Like it doesn't seem like the kind of book where he's just going to be like, actually candy did do it. And then Matthew convinced her to put this hash, this plot, you know, I'd be surprised. That that's I kinda... would feel like I would be disappointed, Yeah, but it yeah. would be a twist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, and are we going to come to like, are, are the, is the way that these men get to stand up for the people that they didn't get to stand up for through, is it going to necessitate violence? Like, is that necessarily a violent standing up uh, or is that, is that not going to be what is forced upon them in order to, to stand up for themselves? <clears throat> hey, one, one last question. Um, you know, that bit where they're talking about negation. Do you remember that? Um, Remind me. So Johnny Paul, 88, he wasn't looking at Mapes. He was looking toward the tractor and the trailers out of, out of Kane out there in the road. But I could tell he wasn't seeing any of that. I couldn't tell what he was thinking until I saw his eyes shifting up the quarters where his mama and papa used to stay. But the old house wasn't there now. It had gone like all the others had gone. Now weeds covered the place where the house used to be. Y'all look, he said. Look now. Y'all see anything? What y'all see? I see nothing but weeds, Johnny Paul, Mapes said, if that's what you're trying to say. Yes, sir, Johnny Paul said. He didn't look at Mapes. He was still looking up at the quarters. Yes, sir, I figured that's all you would see. But what do the rest, but what do the rest don't see? Like that, such the way this is all phrased. What y'all don't see, Roof, he asked me. He didn't look at me, still looking up at the quarters. What y'all don't see, Clay, too. What y'all don't see, Glow. What y'all don't see, Kareen, Rooster, Beulah. What y'all don't see, all the rest of y'all. I don't have time for people telling me what they can't or don't see, Johnny Paul. I, I want Johnny Paul turned on him. He was tall as Mapes, but thin, thin. He was the color of, of brown mule chewing tobacco. His eyes gray, gray like Mapes's eyes, but not hard like Mapes's eyes. He looked dead at Mapes. You ain't got nothing but time, Sheriff. What? Mapes said. I did it, Johnny Paul said. I see. Either I stand here and let you talk about things you don't see and things the others don't see, or I take you in. I see. Yes, sir, Johnny Paul said. But you still don't see. Yes, sir, what you see is the weeds. But what you don't see, what we don't see. Do you see it, Johnny Paul? Mapes asked him. No, I don't see it, Johnny Paul said. That's why I killed him. I see, Mapes said. No, you don't, Johnny Paul said. No, you don't. You had to, you had to be there to, to don't see it now. You just can't come down here every now and then. You had to live here 75 years to don't see it now. No, Sheriff, you don't see. You don't even know what I don't see. Do you know what you don't see? Mapes asked. Ask, ask Matthew, Johnny Paul said. No, I'm asking you, Mapes said. I'll get back to Matthew later. Ask Glow, ask Tucker, Gable, Claytu, ask Gang, Jameson there. Ask any of them, all of them, what they don't see no more. All right, Mapes said. Tell me, but make it quick. I can't, I still get, I gotta get in some fishing. You still don't see. You still don't see. I don't have to make quick nothing. I can take all the time in the world I want, and it ain't nothing you can do but take me to jail. You can't slap me hard enough to hurt me no more, Sheriff. I see, Mapes said. I thought that conversation 
really interesting. It's a little bit on the nose, but also it's really well done because at first it's like mm-hmm. you kind of messes with your brain a little bit. And, but then when he, when he gets to that last line and Mape says, I see it's as if he does see finally, like when he says, you mm-hmm. can, you can't slap me hard enough to hurt me no more. Sheriff Mapes is finally realizing that's why they didn't. That's why they kept getting up. That's why they fell in line to get slapped. That's why they're not giving each other up because getting thrown in prison or whatever, that's not, hmm. it doesn't mean anything to them anymore. Um, but, so what did you make of this conversation? Do you think it's too on the nose? That was kind of my question. I, I, no, I don't. I, I think it works. Um, I, and honestly, I think it works because it, he's, Johnny Paul's repeating himself like people do when they have yeah. a really important point to make, right? And they can't get it across. And so you just like say it louder and yeah, more like often people on the podcast like us on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um and so I think it almost works because of its repetition and vehemence, because that feels like a real conversation and it doesn't feel to me um to it doesn't feel forced. Um and I, I think that question of negation of what it is that Mapes as the representative of the, hmm, what adjectives am I going to choose here? We'll see what comes out of my mouth in a second. Um, <laughs> the um, ordinary, but fairly like weak-minded, not like a man who is not bad or wicked, but is whose strength and sense of nobility and justice is insufficient to the to what he's asked to do his vocation right Mm -hmm. he's the sheriff he should be seeking for justice and and instead he's like let me just try to get this thing like figured out without doing too much harm Mm -hmm. uh so i can get back to fishing you know um so he's not he's not a bad guy but he's not quite good enough morally good enough um to the situation at hand um so but when it's over do you agree with me do you think he finally does see i do what and seeing is again it's good but seeing isn't good enough in a situation like this he's going to have to take action in order to do any good here um and he's going to have to take a very countercultural action on behalf of an of these people on behalf of these black men, and um, how that looks and how it even ought to look, I think, is unclear. Mm. Like you know, if you were to sit down, when, one thing we haven't even talked about is like, what should he do here? Maybe, like, yeah. Like yeah. what? choice does he have what ought he to do because he's not confronted and in his mind it's this it's an incident right but he gets here and he finds out this is more than an incident this is a stand that these men are taking on behalf of their own history and what and what we have johnny paul here saying is like you don't see us you don't Mm. see our history Mm -hmm. you don't you don't you don't see what we've lost this isn't about Matthew and Bo. Yeah. This is about all the things you don't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And have refused to see. Mm-hmm. And so Mapes is in a situation that I frankly wouldn't know what to do in. Like, so mm-hmm. I think he's, 
And he hasn't showed himself to be a noble or good enough man to be sufficient to it or wise enough for it. He's just going to have to be. That'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, right. How does he reveal himself? Like, what does he reveal about himself through the rest of this book? And what impact does his choices make on the, these, the the gathering on the gathering? Right. It's it's interesting that it's called the gathering because it's not the fallout of the gathering and the, the whole book is called the gathering. This is the gathering, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of gathering, you need to get on an airplane so that we can gather here in Concord, North Carolina to do some planning for close reads for 2022. Right. So this weekend, Tim and Heidi are going to be here and we're going to be discussing some, we're going to be plotting some things for for next year. (laughs) Yeah, what she said. Um, So uh, do you want to have any other final thoughts? No. No, I'm just really eager to find out what happens next. It's been a while since I've been kind of on tinder hooks <laughs> on a book. Like, what will happen? You should read the new John Le Carre book. I will. I absolutely am going to do that. It's not very long. So, you know, Which how I surprise. feel about that. Yep, I know. <laughs> so that's probably a, should be a bingo card for the close reads bingo thing. <laughs> um, okay, so we've got, don't forget to check out the place, the thing, Tim and, and uh, Matt and... Oh, shoot. Who else is on? Nora. Nora. That's right. So save me. Um, They're doing the tending (laughs) of the shoot right now. Three acts are up. I believe the fourth one goes up. It might be up by the time this episode goes live. Um, This this close reads episode goes live. If you have kids or you just like kids books, be sure to tune into Withy Wendell. Graham and I are having a great time with that. Uh, We have two episodes of season two up and the third one goes up today, the day this close reads episode drops. We also just launched a new podcast called Bibliography. On that show, I'm chatting with interesting people about the books they love. So the first episode is with Ron Rash. That is now available. Um, you can subscribe to that wherever you get podcasts. If you had already subscribed to our old Libromania feed, you already have access to that. Um, but episode one is with Ron Rash, who is a great North Carolina writer. And uh, I wanted to have make sure that he was our first episode. I've got about eight, nine, ten episodes, something like that in the can. So, um, you know, be ready to check that out. We'd love for you to listen. So um, I guess that about covers all the business. Anything else from you, Heidi? No. Mm-mm. All right. Well then for Heidi White, for Tim uh, McIntosh, Tim in absentia McIntosh. Uh, I'm David Kern. Till next time. Happy reading. Happy reading.